We, it, it has been a blessing to be a part of this family, and, and now Carrie gets to be a part of the family, and I get to counsel him through the whole process. So. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank goodness. <laughs> well, guys, this morning we are back in Genesis, so if you've got your Bible, you can open up to Genesis chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible, we've got a couple extras over there. Um, so if you're going to get one, grab one for a friend if they need it. Call a couple people out here. Got one, good. <laughs> Genesis chapter 15. So our series that we've been going through has been called Getting to Know God, and we've been going through this idea that is someone, one way you can get to know someone is you just watch how do they treat other people, okay? And so we're looking at how does God treat people from the very beginning of the Bible here, from Genesis onward, okay? And so let's do a quick review on where we've been so far. Genesis chapters 1 and 2, what are we kind of talking about in 1 and 2, guys? We got creation, right? God creates the world. Chapter 3, what happens? The fall, right? So we've got sin. We're created to be in a relationship with God. Sin breaks that relationship. And where do the people, where do Adam and Eve have to go? Out, right? Out of the garden. They can't be in the Garden of Eden anymore. And we watched as humanity kind of progressed from bad to worse. We've got Cain killing his brother Abel. Um, and we've just, then it goes, tumbles down into general wickedness. And what does God send in response to that? Don't all shout it at once, guys. The flood, right? Lots of rain, water, flood. And so God kind of starts over, right? Noah comes out of the ark. And one of the first stories we hear is the Tower of Babel. And they are just back to their old ways. And does anybody remember what the big problem with the Tower of Babel was? Yeah, they're trying to bring God down. Go ahead, what were you saying? I cut you off. Nope, okay. Trying to bring God down, and they're trying to meet God's needs. They're, they're basically saying God is like all these other gods that we know about, and we're going to try to please him so that he blesses us. And God doesn't like that because that's not what kind of a God he is. He's not the kind of God that if you, you know, just make him happy by doing certain things and he'll bless you, there's a lot more to our God than that. And so he goes about making himself known and the way he does that is by introducing himself to Abram and it's through Abram whose name's going to change to Abraham in a little bit here um, that he reveals who he is so that we can know who he is so when we read Genesis we're very much reading a story about who God is that's the purpose of why God is introducing himself to Abram it's an important thing for us to get to know okay I thought we were going to get to the ham of Abram but we have Abraham comes in a couple more chapters, and I decided to camp out here. So we're at Abram part two, just in case you were wondering about that. So I want us to start by putting ourselves in Abram's shoes, okay? So just follow along with me. Just, just picture this, okay? Have you ever done what you believed was the right thing and still felt terrible afterwards? Okay? You did what you felt like was the right thing, you felt terrible afterwards. I don't know, maybe you confronted a friend on something. You see them that they're just, they're, the way they're living the life, the way they're headed, it's just not going to end up good and you talk to them, and now they're ticked at you, and things didn't come out the way you wanted, and you felt like you did the right thing, 
and it didn't feel any better. You don't have like warm fuzzies afterwards. Or maybe you could think about serving the homeless. Maybe you like go downtown, you're like, it's gonna be great, we're gonna go help people, we're gonna serve the homeless. And you help them, you feed them, and you come away thinking, how could God let this happen to people? How could God let them lose their homes and they're just out there on the streets and, and, and you feel worse than you did when you started? Or maybe your friend has a family member pass away and you think, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna comfort them and I'm gonna bless them, I'm gonna be there to encourage them. And afterwards, all you're left with is the suffering and the heartache, and, and you don't feel good about doing the right thing. Well, I think that's a little bit about what Abram is feeling right at this moment, okay? So to rewind, Abram has just conquered. Do you guys remember? There were these four kings that came through and conquered all the cities because these five kings rebelled against them. And one of them was Sodom, where Lot, Abram's nephew, was. And they took Lot, took him away with them. And the king's name who was leading was named Cheddarleomer. Cheddarleomer. We're just going to call him Cheddar. We'll call him Cheese, Cheesehead, okay? No, we'll just call him Packers fan. Okay, we'll call him, okay, we'll call him Aaron Rodgers, okay? He's the bad guy, Aaron Rodgers. We're going to call him Aaron Rodgers. Leads four kings down. He's the fourth king. Leads him down. They go on a reign of terror, and Aaron Rodgers steals gold and silver, anything that's valuable from all the cities that he passes through, and he steals Lot and a bunch of people. And so Abram gets together his crew of ninjas, and they put on their night vision goggles <laughs> and helicopters and everything. They're dropping down from ropes, just like in the movies, and they chase Aaron Rodgers up to the north, and... They conquer him, right? They scare him away. They take back the people. They take back all the plunder, all the gold, all the silver. And when he comes back with all the plunder, the king of Sodom tells him, Abram, you know, you got it all. You should just keep it. You know, you're the one who got it. And Abram says, no, this isn't how I'm going to become a great nation. I don't want to become a great nation. Like God promised him, you're going to be a great nation. You're going to have lots of descendants. He said, I'm going to trust God instead. I don't want all of this stuff. Now think for a minute. After all of this has happened, Abram is probably on kind of like a high, right? He's talking to his buddies, like, did you see me jump out of that palm tree and scissor kick Aaron Rodgers in the head? <laughs> you, know, you didn't even see me coming. The night vision goggles. Had no idea I was coming. And um, really excited. But as time goes on, Abram starts thinking and he realizes, I just scissor kicked Aaron Rodgers in the head. And he's probably ticked. And he's probably going to come back here. And he's going to bring even more kings. I mean, he is the most powerful king in the region. He did just go and whoop up on all these five kings that rebelled against him. Okay, and they're probably planning their revenge right now. And second, I just gave up all the gold and silver and all that good stuff I had. God said he was going to reward me, and I'm empty-handed here. I've got nothing to show for it. And the reason I think that we can... Assume that this is where Abram is at is because the very first thing God says in this passage is he tells Abram, fear not. So we know Abram is afraid. He's coming off this high and he's afraid. And I think we can assume that this is probably the reason why. Okay, he's afraid of what's going to happen. He's afraid of um, where his life's going to go from here. And so I want us to go ahead and put on the board here two main questions that I think Abram is asking in this passage, and so they're the two main questions that we need to ask in this passage. The first is this. What does God expect us to do with his promises? Okay, so in Genesis chapter 12, 2, God tells Abram, I am going to give you lots of kids, 
big offspring. You're going to have a huge family, descendants. You're going to become a great nation. And I'm going to give you this land. Okay? Two promises. So what does God want us to do with his promises? And second, how can we trust that his promises will come true? So those are kind of the two questions that we're going to try to answer as we read through our passage today. Okay? So let's start with this first one. What does God expect us to do with his promises? Well, let's bridge the gap for just a minute here because the promises God made to Abram aren't necessarily the promises he's made to us. Okay, so if you're waiting, you know, to have a child when you're 100 years old, God hasn't promised that you're going to have a child when you're 100 years old. But he has made some promises to us, and that promise can most, there's a lot of them, but the one I want to kind of focus on today is John 3.16. You should know that one, right? John 3.16, we've got this promise so Abram was promised children and land. God's promised us, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, so think about it. Whoever believes gets eternal life. So I want, anytime I say promise, I want you to think about this. Okay, this is what we're going to focus on as God's promise to us. So what does God expect us to do with this? What does he expect us to do with his promise? Well, what did God expect Abram to do? with his promises. Go ahead and jump into chapter 15 with me. And let's just read verse 1. It says, After these things, after Aaron Rodgers and the night vision goggles and everything, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. So right off the bat, God gets to the point. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of this guy coming back and getting revenge. Don't be afraid of the fact that you just gave up all the spoil. Why? Because of who God is. Who is God? Who does he say he is in this passage? I'm your shield, right? Okay, so God is his shield. So right off the bat, he's saying, I can protect you. I can take care of you. Look at who I am, not at who, you know, who Cheesehead is, right? Okay? Second, he says, um, not second, there's more. Okay, he also says, your reward is going to be great, okay? So he reminds him, yeah, I know you gave up the rewards of spoil, but guess what? I still got your back. I'm still going to give you lots of rewards. It's still coming, but there's more. So let's keep reading. It says, but Abram said, oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. So what's the problem that Abram sees? This right here. You promised me kids, right? And... I don't see any kids running around my ankles, okay? Sarah's still barren, and I've taken this guy, Eliezer, from Damascus, who's not one of my kids, and he's going to take over all my stuff if I die. So God, what's the deal? There's a problem here. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member from my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them, or count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he, meaning the Lord, counted it to him, Abram, as righteousness. So we've said, how... Does, or what does God expect us to do with his promises? And we see right off the bat, don't be afraid. Remember who I am. And then we see, believe. Believe in me. Abram went from being completely afraid to saying, you know what, God? Even though I don't see any offspring, 
I choose to believe in you. And it was after God took him outside to show him the stars. Well, what just happened? Well, what just happened is exactly what God wanted to happen. Did you know that it had been nearly 14 years since God had promised Abram that he would make him a great nation? 14 years and Abram still has no kids. How many of you have had something that you have waited 14 years for? Okay. So if you've been waiting 14 years for your driver's license, that means you started expecting it when you were two years old. What? Ah, so from birth. Sorry, Alec. Yes, so from the very beginning, sustenance, care, motherly nurture, none of these things mattered to Alec Hobbs. Driver's license. This is what all, all that matters, okay? I mean, think about that. That's a long time to wait. Or maybe you would say graduation, the day I get out of my house. That means when you were four years old, you were like, I can't wait to get out of this place. <laughs> Mom and dad's iron fist is a little too much. I'm, I'm working on my resume, you know, crayons, eating them, drawing with them, whatever it is. I want to get out of here, get my job, move on in life. 14 years is a long time to wait for something. And so I think we should ask the question, why does God make Abram wait that long? Doesn't he care? Why does God let Abram suffer with doubt and with questions and not just give him this child that he promised him so long ago? And I think the answer is this. I think the answer is that God's goal with Abram and his goal with us is not just to give us the rewards that he's promised us. The goal is not found in the rewards. It's not like an exchange program where if we do X, Y, and Z, he'll give us a new car, driver's license, whatever it is we want. Because God is not concerned about giving us these rewards in exchange for what we do. He's concerned about having a relationship with us. And that relationship has to begin with us trusting in him and believing in him. And I think that's why God lets Abram wait. Because he wants Abram to get to a point where he's not just looking for God to bless him and give him the promises he said he would give him. He's looking for Abram to say, okay, I trust you. You said you were going to give me a son. It's been 14 years. I'm getting real old. My wife is getting real old. But you are the God who can create anything. And so I believe that you're the God who can do this. And I think that's what was going through Abram's mind when he went outside. When he went outside, he looked at the stars. And he didn't just see stars, he saw the God behind the stars, who out of nothing created the stars. And I think for Abram, this idea was, if he can create all these stars out of nothing, surely he can create a son for me out of my old age. And it says that Abram, in response, believed in it. And God counts it to Abram as righteousness. So what we see here is, when Abram believes... God says, that's what I was looking for. That's what I was waiting for, Abram. And now I count you as right in my sight. You're right before me. It shows us that if we want to be right with God, it isn't what we do that makes us right with him. Because Abram had done a lot at this point, right? Abram had got up. He'd left his family. He'd moved to a new land. He'd let Lot choose whichever place he wanted to go. He'd, he'd trusted God in many ways. But it wasn't until he said, you know what, God, I'm letting go. I believe that what you promise will come true, that God says, that's it. 
Now you're right with me. Which raises the question, do you think God counts you as righteous in his eyes, as he counted Abram? Have you come to the point where Abram came to here in chapter 15, the point where, though you're surrounded by so much you don't understand, you see people suffering around you. You see families breaking apart, maybe your own. You see suffering, you see your parents wrestling with things, you see your friends wrestling with things, maybe you wrestle with things, maybe you wrestle with an illness or sickness, maybe you wrestle with the question of, why did God put me where he put me? And though God has not perfectly answered all of your doubts and all of your questions, and though you may be struggling with school and family and friends, your health, your sports, your doubts, your sin, have you come to the point where you, despite all of this, are able to say, God, I trust you. I trust you in light of everything that's going on that you can take care of me and that while I don't know all of the answers, you do. And for Abram, this meant trusting God for a child. For us, I think it means us trusting in John 3.16. It means, have we trusted that God really sent Jesus for us so that if we believe in him, we will have eternal life? This is the only way that we will be counted as righteous in God's eyes. And it's the response that God is waiting for each of us to make. So to summarize the first question, what does God expect us to do with his promises? He expects you to give up your doubts and your fears, to look at who he is and to take him at his word and to believe him. If he said he'd do it, then he'll do it. If he told Abram he'll give him a son then Abram needs to stop worrying and trust that that's exactly what God's going to do. And if he tells us that he's going to save those who believe, then we need to stop worrying and trust that's exactly what he's going to do. Now, for some of you, it might sound silly. How many of you have a big sister, big brother, friend, who's ever done the thing where they come up to you and they say, close your, mind, close your eyes and open your mouth? You ever had that? This is kind of what it might sound like to you. God says... I just want you to trust me. I just want you to believe me. I just want you to close your eyes and open your mouth. Now, how many of you, upon meeting someone for the first time, are just going to jump right into that one? Eyes closed, mouth open, sure, whatever, give it to me. Not a good idea, right? And so it brings us to the second question. How can we trust that his, that God's promises will come true? God wants us just to believe in him. How can we trust him? Why, why in the world would we close our eyes and open our mouth and just trust that God can bring his promises about? And so we're going to look at the second half of the passage. So read with me verses 7 all the way to the end. It says, And God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So in the first part, he said, how am I to know that I'm going to have kids? Now he's saying, how am I to know that I'm going to get the land? The two parts of the promise. And he said to him, bring me a heifer, which is a cow, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. This is like a joke that we're lining up for, right? All these things walked into a bar. (laughs) And he brought him all these, and he cut them in half. Ew. Lots of blood. And laid each half over against the other. What that means is, hacks them in half, half the cow goes here, half the cow goes here, half the goat goes here, half the goat goes here, half the, what are we at, pigeon, you know, uh, ram goes here, half the ram goes here, okay? Lays them over there, but he did not cut the birds in half, so he's killed the birds, birds on either side. 
And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. So God says, here you go. Cut all these animals in half, put them on the side. Vultures come down, and Abram gets to do the vulture dance, trying to keep the vultures away from these dead animals until God decides he's going to show up. Well, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Now, that sounds kind of confusing. But you know that every time God shows up in the Bible, how do people feel? They feel giddy and excited. It's fear, right? So we have fear. So this is kind of getting us ready for who's about to show up. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now that is a lot of stuff right there, but what basically God is saying is this. I told you I was going to give you the land, and it's not going to happen in your day. In fact, it's not going to happen for another 400 years. And Abram, you're just going to have to trust that I'm going to do it. That I'm going to take these people, your offspring, that I'm going to give you, and I really am going to bring them back, even though you're going to be dead for a long time before it happens. So why should Abram trust him? Well, look what God does next. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. Now, how do we know this is God? Well, what does God look like when he reveals himself to Moses? A burning bush, right? And how does God reveal himself when he leads the Israelites throughout the desert for 40 years? It's in a pillar of fire, right? and a cloud during the day, pillar of fire at night. So here God shows up in the same way he shows up in other places in Genesis and Exodus as fire, and it passes, it says, between the pieces. The pieces of what? The animals. He walks the bloody path. Okay? He walks between the animals. And on that day the Lord made a covenant, or a promise, with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land. And then he describes where the land is, the river of Egypt to the river of Euphrates, and on and on, okay? So what has God just done? This is a very interesting little piece of information here. Besides get his sandals dirty, except he was a fire pot and a smoking torch. He wasn't really wearing sandals there. So how can we understand what's happening here? What we, what we should do is we need to put ourselves in Abram's shoes. And back in Abram's shoes, this is an ancient ceremony that was a way that you would make a promise with someone. And what you were communicating when you cut these animals in half and you walked between them is you were saying, if I don't keep my promise to you, then I should become like these animals. You can butcher me just like you butchered these animals if I don't keep my promise to you. Now think for a minute. Close your eyes and open your mouth. Someone tells you to do that. What if they start saying things like, listen, I promise that what I have is good. You're going to like it. I just want to surprise you. Okay? I tell you what. If it's not good, I'll give myself a swirly. Or if it's not good, you can have everything in my bank account. Or if it's not good, I will have a lawyer come out here and we'll write a legally binding contract that says I will be your personal servant for the rest of my life. Now you start to get a little more curious, right? Okay, maybe I'll do it. Maybe I'll do it. Or what if you see something like God does, which is... If I don't keep my promise, if I don't give you something good here, then let me be slaughtered like these animals. 
I'll put my own life on the line. Promise means a whole lot, doesn't it? So we ask the question, how can we trust that God's promises will come true? Well, we can trust that God's promises comes true because God himself has put himself on the line. God has put himself in harm's way in order to keep the promise, in order to prove that he will be true to his word, that, Abraham can tr- that Abram can trust him long after he's died, and that God will not forget about him or his offspring. In other words, God takes the curse upon himself in order to show Abram that he cares for him and that he is a God that Abram can trust. And you'll notice, who doesn't walk between the pieces? Abram. So this curse is not a two-way promise, like, Abram, you do this, and I'll do this. No, it's all on God. God's saying, you do, this is all on me. Okay? There's nothing you can do to mess up this covenant, to mess up this promise. It's all on me. And if I mess it up, I'm the one on the line. Well, shockingly enough, as we come to a conclusion here, God has acted out this exact same scenario for you and for me. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so we see here that if we believe in God, we should have eternal life. And why should we believe? Because he has sent his only son. Well, why has he sent his son? Well, he sent his son to die on the cross. And we read in the Old Testament that if someone is hung on a tree, they're cursed. And what is a cross but two pieces of wood? And Jesus, hanging on that man-made tree, is cursed. And so we see that, again, Jesus put himself on the line for us. That he put himself in harm's way for us. That he became the curse for us. And he did it so that he could prove to us not only that our sins have been removed, but that the God that we serve and the God that he serves and the God that he is is a God that we can trust. And it's a God that we can know that if he has promised he will give us eternal life, then he really will if we believe in him. So Jesus died so that we would know that that thing that he's going to put in our mouth is sweet. And that what he offers to us is incredibly wonderful. And that sweet thing is the eternal life that comes from believing and following Jesus. So, how can we trust that God will keep his promises? We look at what he's done for us. We look how he's put himself on the line for us, specifically in Jesus, going to the cross for us. And we realize that a God who would do that is a God that we can trust with our lives and is a God that's worth following. So to end today, we have two quick questions. The first one is this. Have you, like Abram, believed God? In light of the cross and the fact that God has proved that he cares for you and is worthy of your trust, have you believed in him? Have you taken him at his word? Have you believed that he's able to do what John 3.16 says? That he's able to save you? So as you think about that, let me say, if not, which is a possible answer, your answers are yes or no, or I'm not sure. So if your answer is no then just keep in mind that according to Scripture, you are not right with God. That faith in God, since faith in God is the only way we're made right with Him, if you don't believe and have faith in God, then you aren't right with Him. But be encouraged that this is something that you can do today. Notice, Abram didn't have to go through some big long song and dance to have faith in God. All God did was take him outside and say, just believe, Abram, just believe. And it's that simple for us as well. 
And if you're confused about, I'm not sure how I can do that, I feel like that's a big step I can't take yet, I would encourage you, come talk to me, okay? I don't think I'm that scary or intimidating. Come talk to me, and let's talk about where we're at, okay? Because, to be honest, if we're just here talking about the, like, nice things about the Bible and Christians and it's just what we do and we never ask hard questions and we never think, gee, how should this impact my life? Well, we are just wasting our time. Let's not waste our time. If something, when I say this stuff, this strikes you and you're like, man, I don't know if I'm there yet and I don't know how to get there, well, you should probably talk to someone and get some advice and I would love to be that person if you don't feel comfortable with me. Any of the youth leaders would love to talk to you about that. A second question that I want to ask you is this. Does the way you live your life right now suggest to those around you that you trust God? So have you trusted in God? Have you believed him? And if so, if the answer is yes, then does the way you live your life right now suggest to those around you that you trust him? We're about to see that Abram goes and does something that makes us wonder, did he really trust God? He's about to go and uh, take Hagar and have a child with her and, and try to take the promise into his own hands again. So we ask, does Abram really trust God? And so that's a good question for us to ask as we move forward. Do my actions, do my words, does my attitude, does the way that I act when bad things happen, does my approach to school, my approach to sports, my approach to my friends or my parents, do these things all point to the fact that I am someone who didn't just believe God at one point in time, but who is continuing to trust and follow God with my life today? And so I want you to take a minute as we close here and just do this. We're just going to bow our heads for one minute and I want you to ask God, God, is there anything that you, that it's in my life that is showing that I don't really trust you? And whatever comes to mind, let, let him speak to you. Confess it. God, I'm sorry for that. I need your forgiveness. And believe that John 3.16 is true, that those who confess and those who believe will be saved. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and then I'll close this in just one minute. God, we know that we will never follow you perfectly. That though we have faith and though we believe in you, that we are still fallen, we're still sinful, we're still weak, we're prone to worry, we're prone to doubt, we're prone to question. So I just pray that you would reveal those things to us this morning and this week as we go through the week so that we will be able to give them back to you and to once again look to the stars like Abram did and to look to the God who created the stars and to say, I'm letting you take control. I believe, I trust in you, I have faith in you, and I want you to lead. And for those who haven't made that decision yet, Lord, I pray that you would um, be near them as they continue to wrestle with this all-important decision in their life and this all-important topic, and help them, Lord Jesus, to um, be honest with themselves and be honest with you, and would you just lead all of us to the truth as we desire to live our lives in accordance with the truth that you have given us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, good to have you out here. Ansel's house, Wednesday, pool party. I am going to say it just because I need to. 
Uh, bathing suits, appropriate. Joseph, come on, really. <laughs> Everybody, appropriate bathing suits. That's it. See you Wednesday. Wait,